Father, we, um, we just want to be so grateful that you would speak to us. And we ask that your, this, this text is so full of hope. God, that it would be loud, that it would be clear, that it would be authoritative, that it would drown out so many of the competing voices in our heads, in our hearts, in our culture, that it would muffle the nonsense, that would shine light into the shadows, and above all things, that it would point us to Jesus Christ, the reason we are gathered, worshiping, praying, praising. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lift him up and that he might draw all of us to himself today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Towards the end of uh, 2020, I came uh, across a, a picture. I think it's probably a meme, but I still can't figure out what memes are. My kids have tried to explain it to me, but I, but I thought this was funny. So if 2020 was a scented candle, and then you have this, <laughs> it just paints the picture so well. It's a row of porta potties lit on fire. I remember seeing that. It was towards the end of. You can actually go find candles now that have recreated that if you so desire. Smell and all. Um, I thought it was so funny. It was so funny. We're coming towards the end of 2020, which was, by all accounts, for many of us, a very terrible year, a very rotten year. And part of what was so funny about it is 2020 was almost done. The new year was coming. 2021, it was going to be amazing. Amen? Amen? And then 2020 came, and 2020 went. And 2021 started, and it was good for like five days, <laughs> and got terrible really fast. And then 2021 continued, and you know, as every year has, ups and downs, good things and bad things, but, but, but it seemed like, okay, things are getting better, things will be, okay, 2022 is coming, this is going to be the year. This, like, you remember like COVID summer, oh, we're going to, it's going to be, co- it's, we're, this is going to be amazing, this is incredible. I remember being so excited, New Year's coming, 2022 comes, happy New Year. Ukraine is invaded. Ah. Oh. This kind of always feels like this hope for something to get better is confronted with something getting worse or frustrating. It's kind of like ongoing cycle. Andrew Peterson, sort of wonderful artist, wrote a, a song from Revelation chapter 5, the, the text we're going to look at today. And it's a really great song. It's a really hard song to, to sing in church because it's this interaction between kind of a lead singer and a choir. We'll try to pull it off sometime, but I've never seen it done successfully yet. So we'll have to like rehearse or something. But it's this incredible back and forth song between some questions and some, some answers. And he begins it like this. Do you feel the world is broken? And then the choir responds, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But then he asks this, he goes, but do you know that the dark won't stop the light from getting through? And almost like with a, with a sigh of just relief and hope and the choir just goes, we do. Is all creation groaning? The choir, it is. Is a new creation coming? It is. 
Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Of the billions of gifts that God gives to us on Easter, it's the, be, the ability to remember that the resurrection, it changes everything. Everything that this world in your heart truly long for that's good and right, everything we're fighting for and working for and serving and giving and laboring and praying for will come as a result of a new creation because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the center of this hope, the center of all things being made new, at the very center of Revelation chapter 5 is one figure. It's a lamb standing as though he was slain. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? This is God's unfailing and hope-filled word. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Feel free to grab a seat. Verse 1 is, is setting the stage for this chapter. And what you're given in it is, 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 a, is, a, is a vision, is a, is a picture of, of heaven. God is on a throne, and in his right hand is a scroll. And there's some details in this text that are, that are interesting. There's a scroll that is written within, but also has writing on the outside. And that was, that was, that's a strange detail, because at this time, when scrolls were written, and they were only written on one side, because the way they were constructed made it really difficult to write on the outside, except for in cases of, of a, a scroll being written as like a last will and testament. Oftentimes what would happen is those scrolls would be written in and then they would be rolled and they would be sealed and then you would write like a brief summary of some of what was inside of it. And then we have it sealed and usually when you sealed scrolls like this, you would write in them, you'd roll it up, you'd seal it to, to kind of stamp authority on it, to, to verify, to make sure it doesn't get tampered with, but you'd only use one seal. But in this text it says seven seals are used. Another place that seven seals were used at this time in, in Roman antiquity was often when emperors would write their wills. And so as we come to this text, we have this throne room scene, and the scroll that's being held is of inestimable value. What's in it is so important. A few years ago, um, my wife and I, we opened up the mail and uh, we pulled out uh, uh, Last Will and Testament, like the, the, the information that somebody after they passed, and we found out that we were in their will. So, this, yeah, woo. <laughs> sort of. I mean, that's kind of a sad thing, too. <laughs> well, if whoever said that, we'll have to talk after. <laughs> but I hear you, woo. And so, and so I open, so we, we get it, and we begin to, we open it. 
We open it up and we start to read through it with this excitement and anticipation, like what are, what are we gonna, what are we getting? What are we getting? And, and we read through it and, and we were in this person's will. And so, but before you get too excited, the money has, it's all been spent. I bought this shirt. So it wasn't like, <laughs> wasn't like life changing. But this scroll is. Whatever was in it was so meaningful, so big, so impactful. That's why there's weeping. Who's worthy? Who can open this? Who can bring this about? One way of understanding um, what's happening in this scroll is that it's, it's God's unfolding purpose for humanity. This scroll is the bringing about of, of what the Bible would call a, a new creation. The scroll gets open, then, then we'll have the fulfillment of the prayer that many of us have prayed so many times, would your will be done and your kingdom come on earth? as it is in heaven. That would finally happen. And one of the ways you could think about, about this is to, to, to think about the storyline of Scripture. The Bible begins with creation. Go to the very beginning. God, he speaks the world into existence. This process, ex nihilo, this beautiful phrase that means out of nothing, he just creates. He says, let there be light, and there's light. Let there be trees. Let there be giraffes. They'd be rutabagas. I don't know why. Let there be you. God speaks this all into existence, and he looks at it, and he says, oh, this is very good. But it didn't stay that way. This morning when I came into to, to the church, um, Paul, our XP, he asked me, he said, hey, Rob, I just I wanted to check, hey, do you need anything? And I was like, well, if you could go back to last night and tell me not to eat the dinner I ate, that would be fantastic, because it was a rough night. Start with the scented candle, <laughs> go to my stomach issues, welcome to Redeemer. <laughs> but do you know that wasn't how it's supposed to be? Like, stomach aches were never supposed to happen. And back aches and loneliness and animosity and hunger and war. Genesis 3 lays out the story of creation and then fall. We broke the world. But God wasn't okay with it being broken, and so he established a plan. Even in that place, he said, one day I'm going to mend it. One day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send someone who's going to come as a redeemer. And so we have this creation, this fall, this redemption. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purchase it back. I'm going to bring it back. But then it goes, creation, fall, redemption. But it doesn't just go to restoration. It just doesn't take us back to where it began. We actually get to a place called new creation, a place that can never be broken again. A way you might think about this is, is like the cycles of, of, or the, of, of the seasons where you go from winter and it's dark and it's cold, but then spring comes and life begins to, to blossom again and, and, and flowers begin to bloom and the, the temperature begins to warm and the grass begins to green up and to, to grow and then it gives way to summer, glorious summer. The only reason any of us live in Whatcom County, summer. Amen. You can say woo on that one. <laughs> and fall comes, and oh, it's not bad. It, it gets a little crisper, but the leaves change is still beautiful. But then by about mid October, it just turns gray. It's like 35 and drizzle for six months. Winter. 
This is where the storyline of Scripture breaks free from the seasons that we experience of hope and disappointment and hope and disappointment and new life and fading and new life and death and new life and death. It's creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. It'll give way to an endless summer. It will only ever be paradise. This past Sunday, I was not able to be here. I wasn't able to to preach. I always miss times when I don't get to be here. I was actually working, though. Um, I was studying. I was doing research for this sermon. I wanted to see if the new creation existed, and so I felt like I needed to take a trip to Hawaii. And so (laughs) I went to Hawaii to do sermon prep, and I'm glad to report that the new creation is real, (laughs) and it's amazing. I sat on the Waikiki beach like six in the morning and watched the sun rise over Diamond Head, gentle breeze coming off the ocean, about 74 degrees, beach is almost empty, except for some figures of this dawn patrol surfing crew that would come out every single morning and surf the waves. Oh, it's glorious. We ate incredible food. We did amazing hikes. And then my wife and I, we'd end each night. We'd, we'd go down to the beach, and we had these, these chairs, and we'd get, find the perfect spot, and we'd just watch the sun set over the Pacific. But then I had to come back. Uh, paradise ended. Oh, I love where we live. But it's one day, creation, fall, redemption, new creation, paradise forever. Now, the hope of verse 1 is, is really stunning, but there's a really big problem. Verses 2 through 4, this is what we see, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming who, with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. The problem is we can't fix our biggest problems. No matter how hard we try, um, did I mention that I was in Hawaii last week? Just wonder if I mentioned that yet. We, I was in Hawaii, and we were up on the 21st floor, and on Sunday morning, last Sunday, there happened to be a half marathon that was being uh, raced. And so the speaker gets on, he begins to announce, it kind of wakes us up, because they started the race pretty early, so I poke my head out, and I step out onto our lanai, and the race was starting right underneath our hotel. And there's 7,000 people that are gathered for this race. This is a stream of people going back down this street. But then right in the front, are the world-class elite runners. I mean, they, they, these, these are people that run professionally. They, they fly in. This is what they do for their job. And there's this line that really hit me as they're about to go run this half marathon around this dormant volcano in, in Oahu. And they said, okay, okay we're going to start in just a couple of minutes. We'll see you in an hour. If you're a runner, that's 13.1 miles in under an hour. The world record for the half marathon is something like 57 minutes and and change. It's something like 420 a mile, four minutes and 20 seconds per mile for 13 miles. And I just sat there thinking, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I train, I will never, ever, ever run that fast. I could have the greatest gear. I could have the biggest sponsors. I could have the best coaches. I could cheat and blood dope. I could become like a minotaur or a centaur. I will still never be fast enough to run it in under an hour. We could gather all the smartest people in the world with all the deepest pockets and all the, mo- the, the, the greatest determination 
and all the engineering work, all the hours, we still cannot bring the new creation. Our biggest problem is we cannot fix our biggest problems. But the good news of this text is there's one who can. So what we see down in verse 5. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That language, this line of the tribe of Judah, this, this, um, this root of, of David is the Bible's way. And is it, uh, down in verse 9, it talks about this lamb that was slain standing. This, it's the Bible's way of bringing together two really big concepts in scriptures that the long-awaited Savior King has finally come to fix everything. The one we've longed for, the one we la- that we've been laboring to solve all these problems, all these, all these concerns, the long-awaited Savior King has finally come. Jeremiah 23, I'll just give you one text. This shows up a lot of different places, but in verses 5 and 6 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. How's the new creation going to come? How are we going to be forgiven and welcome? How, how is this mess ever going to get undone and remade so it's never broken again? Weep no more. The Savior King has come. Let me read verse 6. In between the throne... And the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And in that, we get these two handles, this this lamb that was slain, but this lamb that is standing. It's another way that the Bible talks about what's the central message of Christianity, which is the gospel, the good news. It's what we're celebrating this weekend, that the lamb was slain. That's what we're talking about on the cross, that Christ came and was crucified, but the grave couldn't keep him, that he, he stood up. And what we're celebrating today is this resurrection and this is how we're, how we're brought into the kingdom. This is how the new creation comes. And we see details of this down in verse 9 where it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. It's talking about the, the, the sacrifice that it took to bring people back to God was the very blood of Christ. To ransom, it means to, to set free, to liberate to purchase someone in captivity. And I was talking with my, my oldest son yesterday about this verse, about this word ransom. And I was like, hey, hey, Oye, I'm just wondering, if, could, you, could you help me try to think through how to make this, this word and what Christ did like real and powerful for people? And what I was looking for is like, hey, give me a really good sermon illustration that will make this, this just sing. And what he said to me was so much better. He just said, he says, dad, God literally died to get us back. Just say that. Nothing is more powerful than that. That's the cost of saving us. That God himself would die in our place. Put up a, can we put up the slide of uh, Zelensky, Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky? It's been interesting, it's been, I think, actually wonderful to see the way so much of the world has been captivated by what he's been doing. 
He has all the power, all the privilege, all the opportunity to run away from the danger. And I think what's stirred so many hearts is that he's chosen to stay. He's chosen to insert himself into the place that, that, that is costly. He chose to go into it. In this, this text, it talks about this lamb that's slain, and then there's this really interesting detail that says, and there's, there's seven horns. It's this picture of absolute power, absolute authority, absolute kingship, these seven eyes, absolute insight, absolute wisdom. It's talking about the omniscience, the omnipresence, the omnipotence of God. Christ could do whatever he wanted to, and what he wanted to do was to run into the war, to run into the fire. It's one of the things we love about first responders. That while we're running from the building, they're running towards the building. When we're running from the shooting, they're running into the shooting. The story of the gospel is the story of God who ran into the fire, who ran into the mess, who ran into the war, who ran into the chaos and didn't just stay but died. He was a lamb slain that we might be ransomed, that we might be forgiven, that we might be purchased out of our foolishness and our running and our trying and our attempts to earn our own righteousness. The sacrifice is absolutely stunning. And the scope of it is wonderful. Let me just give you two, two handles for, for how far this reaches what Christ has done. The breadth of who it's for and the breadth of what it does. We see it in this text. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Saying all types of people from all types of backgrounds with all types of histories and all types of decisions and all types of failures, all types of addictions, all types of poor choices, all types of ignoring, I love in Revelation 7, two chapters later, it doesn't, this isn't just like a smattering. It says a great multitude from every tribe and tongue. Oh, the breadth is as wide as anyone in this room that will come. I think about this, this grace that's so great that we're not gritting our way to God. and what, what, it's, like, it's like cool water on a hot day in the culture like ours. Came across an article recently that said this, I'm a liberal professor and my liberal students terrify me. You know, why? And it's the, if I, if I say the wrong thing, even if I have tenure, I'm fired. If I don't say the right thing in the right way, as quick as I'm supposed to, I still get fired. Sometimes we talk about our, our culture as being immoral. I would offer to you, I think it's hyper-moral. I think it's constantly saying, virtue your righteousness. Speak the, the right language in the right ways at the right time so the right people say, you belong here. And if you misstep, we will cancel you. We will cut you off. I think a lot about our, our, all of us, but I think particularly our teens and the pressures that social media have brought in. The person that, um, that created the, the like button of Facebook in 2009 regrets it. Because what happened was a global popularity contest, a way of publicly being declared righteous, saved, welcome, belonging. And if you didn't get enough, or you didn't have enough followers, you didn't have enough retweets, or, or you didn't like the right articles, all of a sudden you are socially outcast. Constant fear. 
being ignored or canceled. But that's not how the gospel works. Gloriously, it's not how Christ works. He came to ransom a people, not to get a people to perform. In Christ, you'll never be canceled. In Christ, you'll never be condemned. You'll only be forgiven. You'll only be brought in. You'll only be called, as this text says, my people. I love this, this hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath the flood. They lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. The only thing you need today is need. It's all you need. Your histories, your presence, your choices, your dropped balls, your failures, your mess-ups, your screw-ups, your wanderings. It's the great grace, the great expanse of the love of God, the king that has come to die. Not so you would perform, so that you would be claimed and washed in his righteousness. It's for anyone here who will come. And here's what it does. I'll give you just two things that the work of Christ does, the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, so many more things we say. I'll give you two really big ones, though. It ends death. The great enemy, the great terror that faces us all down, it ends death. In verse 6, again, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. Christ went to the cross, went to the tomb, but the tomb did not keep him. He got up out of the grave and said, death is dead. One of my favorite lines I probably quoted every single Easter by John Owen is, when death stung Christ, it stung itself to death. It became like a little bumblebee with one stinger that couldn't take us down. Came across an article recently titled this, Every Christian Beats Cancer. It was written by a pastor um, after the funeral of a longtime member, someone named Daryl Carmen, and he was thinking about the, the shirts and the, the bumper stickers that say, I beat cancer. And those are used, and we've, we, we, my wife and I, we've had friends that have beat cancer. They, they got a diagnosis, and then they went through chemo or radiation, or God miraculously healed them, whether it was medically or through his intervention, and, 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 and then they were cancer-free. And they survived, and then, you know, this shirt, like, I beat cancer, and that is glorious and wonderful, and this pastor's reflecting on these shirts and these bumper stickers as he just buried one of his friends, and he began to ask, Does cancer, did cancer win? Does death win? Doesn't the grave say that cancer won? And then I loved his insight. I thought it was, I thought it was real and raw and honest. He said, you know, in, in one sense, it won a battle. But because the grave is empty, it'll never win the war. Because of Daryl's faith in Christ, he is today in paradise. The resurrection, it changes everything. It offers that type of hope to the greatest threat that we face. Death is dead. Let me give you one more thing. It, it puts the down payment on a new creation. 
You see this in, 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 in verses 11 and following, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then this is, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down in worship. There is so much there. Here's all I want you. I just draw attention to this. This text is a flow of like the angels singing, the nations singing, and then every creature under heaven singing. That the work of Christ and his resurrection, it gets into the nooks and crannies of this entire cosmos. And it points forward to how Revelation ends in chapters 21 and 22, this new creation where, where God promises and secured that promise by the blood of his son. He says, I am making all things new. One day there will be no sickness. One day there will be no disease. No, one day there will be no loneliness. One day there will be no hunger. One day there will be no war. One day there will be no famine. One day there will be no backaches. One day there will be no conflict. No day there will be no bruises or scrapes or hurts or nightmares or, 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 or distraught thoughts. One day the Bible speaks of a, of a time where it would just be feasting. He's saying it's like there's going to be sweet wine dripping on the mountains and food full of marrow, which sounds disgusting, but I'm sure it's amazing. Jesus says, don't worry, I'm, I'm going, I'm preparing a place for you. One day I'm going to come back. I'm going to welcome you into that place. Let me give you humanity's true horizon a new heaven, and a new earth. The resurrection changes everything. So what do we do with this? There's a lot we could do with this. I'll give you, give you two things. Behold and believe. Sight changes everything. And verse five of this text captures that. In the midst of the weeping, one of the elders, they come and say, weep no more, Behold. The line of the, see the one that changes everything. Behold. Um, I asked my wife um, if I could borrow a pair of her, her favorite sunglasses yesterday, and she loves them so much that her first statement was no. Um, she's like, I don't want you to break them. And I was like, well, I'm not going to break them. At first service, I almost broke them, by the way. Because um, I was like, I'm not going to break them. And I was like, whoop, I think I heard a crack. So, um, but she loves these sunglasses. You probably can't see them totally, but they're, they're rose-colored, and they have rose-colored lenses. And so what Katie likes to do is when it's gray outside, she just puts them on, goes, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Look at all the colors. It's so glorious. She pulls them off. Nope, putting them back on. She loves these because it changes the way in which she sees the world around her. Revelation 5 is God's provision to us of some new lenses to see this world. And it's not rose-colored in the sense of making things unreal. It's actually showing us through what's unreal to what is really real, which is a new creation. When the kingdom of God will be on earth as it is in heaven. Put these lenses on. Bishop, missionary, and Bishop and missionary Leslie Newbegin was once asked, as you look towards the future, are you an optimist or a pessimist? I think his answer is fantastic. He said this, he goes, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. 
Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The resurrection, it changes everything. Behold, and then believe. And it's actually what we see in this text is the weeping is replaced with, with singing. They see the lamb and they say, oh, this changes it. This changes it. I, I don't have to weep anymore. I can sing. I can rejoice. The angels and the multitudes. And it's an invitation for us to behold and to believe. Andrew Peterson, again, do you feel the world is broken? Yeah, we do. But do you know that all the dark can't keep the light from coming through? We do. The response of the choir is always, it is. Maybe, maybe you'd say this with me if, if you think this is true. As I ask this question, you could say it is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. The resurrection changes everything. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful reminder. What a needed reminder. What a hope-filled reminder. Thank you that because of texts like this, we get to be future-oriented people. That dignifies the work we do now because we know because of the resurrection of Christ, it's not in vain. It allows us to not grow weary or tired in doing good because a new creation's coming. Thank you that you dignify and honor our tears and our struggles in this world and that you promise one day to wipe away every tear to grant a time when we won't even remember the former things. But we'll just enter into paradise. All because of the work of our Savior King Jesus, who came to die that we might live, and who rose that we might have new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.